All right, so today we are in Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46. So turn there in your Bibles with me, Matthew 25, 31 through 46. And the title of the sermon today is Kingdom Come, Kingdom Come. Uh, Today we are gonna look together at the final judgment, all right? So, um, you know, easy subject, right? Uh, The final judgment. And today uh, today is gonna be uh, soul-searching, And it's going to be solemn in some senses. And for us as believers, it's going to be, it's going to gain us further security in the Lord, right? We're going to understand what he's done for us more. So today is a day, every day is, as we open God's word together. Um, But today is a day for sure to pay close attention, okay? Pay close attention to the words of Jesus. Uh, All of the words in the Bible are for us. And um, we want to pay close attention to all of them. Today is about future things, eternal things, um, and we want to pay close attention. Uh, Every single individual in the history of mankind is going to come before the throne of Jesus where the judgment will be one of two eternal destinies. Uh, One is heaven and the other is hell. And so the question is, as we hear that this morning, One question is, is your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins or is it not? Right, is your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins or is it not? And then the second question is, if you are saved, does your faith work to love other Christians who are on mission for Jesus Christ? If you are saved, does your faith work to love other Christians who are on mission for Jesus Christ? And so here's our big idea today as we get into this passage. The big idea is all will stand alone and be judged based on faith in Jesus Christ. All will stand alone, meaning you can't ride in on the coattails of others. You gotta make a personal decision about Jesus Christ yourself, right? All will stand alone and be judged based on faith in Jesus Christ. So about this all-important future moment, Jesus gives us what to know. And, and it's just remarkable that he teaches us these things so we're informed about them and there is even a means to get to the deliverance to heaven, all right? So here's, here's the passage, the first three verses, 31 through 33. After Jesus returns, he will gather all humanity for judgment, point one. After Jesus returns, he will gather all humanity for judgment. So here's verses 31 through 33. Jesus speaking, he says, when the son of man, referring to himself, when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. So at this point in the timeline of chapters 24 and 25, Jesus has now returned his second coming and he now sits on the throne of God, right? It's his rightful place. He's the son of God. He's the king of kings. And we know already from the Gospel of Matthew, from these last two chapters, that Jesus is God. We know that Jesus is eternal. We know that Jesus came to save. We know that Jesus succeeded, right? He paid the penalty on the cross. He rose from the dead. And then we see in this passage that Jesus is now judge. 
So in this moment, this future moment of final judgment, Jesus will be judged. And I just want us to feel and capture that Jesus, who knew he would be the judge, came to pay the sentence of all who would place their faith in him. Do you recognize that? Like Jesus knew he would be the judge. He knew that we have no chance before a holy God because we're sinners. And so he came to become the sacrifice so that by believing in him for forgiveness of sins, we would be saved in this moment. And so he's describing the moment. We think of Romans 6, 23, that the wages of sin is death but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. So the wages of sin means that what we deserve based on our sin is eternal death. Then it says, but the free gift of God, meaning we can receive that by placing our faith in Jesus, the free gift of God is what? Eternal life in Christ Jesus. And in this passage, Jesus is talking about that eternal life. So I just think like what grace and what love is this? What love would know that we are doomed and then come out of heaven, take all off of all of your eternal glory and come here and die on a cross, the king on a cross to save. That's the gospel. That's our Lord. What love is this? It's the love of God. So right now, as we see in this passage, um, Jesus is going to, Jesus in the future is going to separate the believers from the unbelievers. And right now, as we live, humanity is mixed. Every day, we're hanging out with non-believers. We're hanging out with other believers. Humanity is mixed. Jesus is saying here that in that moment, humanity will be separated. And Jesus knows who are his. So a question that comes to my mind and we were even discussing this morning a little bit in pre-pray is where are the souls of those who have already passed away, all right? So th this passage is gonna talk about future heaven, future hell, like eternal hell, eternal heaven. And I wanna explain the, the, the difference a little bit uh, or, or maybe not, not as much the difference but like the heading of each of those things. So where are the souls of those who are already passed away? Like right now. And this passage describes heaven and hell future. What about right now? So, so there are some words in the scriptures, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, that I, I just wanna bring before you a little bit to try to explain um, what they mean and how things are right now. And so that, like, as I think of this passage and I'm living and breathing today, I think about, like, my dad was saved He's in heaven, but it's not the heaven described in this passage. So like, where is he now? Y'all with me on that? Like, like I, wanna, I wanna know that. So, so here, are some, here are some words in the Bible and I'm gonna try to explain this, okay? So, so two words uh, that describe um, the place of the dead in the scriptures. One is Sheol and one is Hades, all right? If y'all read those before, like I'm listening to, jo to jo Job this morning and I hear the word Sheol. So those describe the place of the dead, like the current place of the dead. But within that category of Sheol and Hades are two categories that are described within the place of the dead, all right? Um, one of those is paradise, which Jesus describes on the cross, and it's also called Abraham's bosom, and I'll explain that in just a minute. Another is called Gehenna in hell. So, so within Sheol and Hades, those terms, is paradise and Abraham's bosom, and then Gehenna and hell. And all of this exists pre-final um, pre resurrection, pre-text that we're in right now in this moment, all right? So 
Sheol, Hades, describe um, the, the realm of the dead, the place of the dead currently, but within that there's paradise, meaning heaven in Abraham's bosom, and then there's Gehenna and hell, okay? Y'all with me on that? All right, just, just trying to teach you through a little of this and studying this this week. So I just used the phrase Abraham's bosom, and uh, maybe that is a little strange to hear, but let me explain what this means. Um, Abraham was declared righteous by his faith in God, right? You see that in Genesis 12, in Genesis 15, and by us placing our faith in the Lord and in his plan and in his promise, Jesus Christ, then we are also saved. So the place of heaven, the place of paradise, is kind of nicknamed Abraham's bosom because all of those who have faith in God's promise and God's plan are just like Abraham, and so we're there with Abraham, all right? So that's, that's Abraham's bosom. That's what that explains. So we also have in Luke 16 this teaching of Jesus, and he's describing Lazarus, and he's describing a rich man. And Lazarus is in heaven. Lazarus is in Abraham's bosom. Lazarus is in paradise. And then the rich man is in Gehenna, or the rich man is in hell. And there's this distinction, and that passage in Luke 16 is so clear that the chasm is huge, and there's no getting back and forth from one to the other. So Jesus describes that in Luke 16, if you want to go and read that and understand it, and we understand that Gehenna and hell and the future hell are a place of torment and of suffering in the place of paradise, Abraham's bosom, and the new Jerusalem, the new heavens and earth will be the place of peace and rest with the Lord Jesus, okay? So I think about my dad, and I think about him right now, he is with the Lord in paradise, I think of Luke 24, verse 43, where Jesus says to the thief on a cross, a sinner who in that moment was saved because he placed his faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus said to him, today you will be with me in paradise. All right, so heaven exists right now. Hell exists right now. Because Jesus said, and I just love this phrase, like Jesus Jesus said things and they're so full, all of his phrases, right? So he said, today, meaning for that thief on the cross, today, when he passed away, when he gave his last breath, where did he go? He went to paradise. Today, it's immediate. And then he says, Jesus says, you, personal. Because Jesus knew the faith of the thief on the cross. Today, you. And then he says, will be, meaning promise, it's certain. And then he says, with me. And that's the best part of heaven. Like as you read John 14 and Jesus going to prepare a place for us, all the language in there is the best part of heaven is just being with the Lord, being in the presence of the Lord. Today, you will be with me. And then Jesus says, in paradise, in the place of peace, in the place of rest with him. Now, some of you might be thinking about purgatory. What's up with Purgatory. All right, purgatory is a concept without biblical basis, okay? Um, once someone has passed away, there is no concept in scripture that we can pray or pay someone into heaven. The Bible is really clear that the state of your soul when you die or when Jesus returns will be the state of your soul when you rise, okay? All right, there we go. Teaching about all those words so that we understand some things. And Jesus wants us all to know that after he returns, he's gonna gather all of humanity for judgment. And this is heading toward the eternal hell and the eternal heaven. So here's the next point from verses 34 through 40. Jesus will commend disciples for faith that worked, 
okay? So what's gonna happen here? So he's separating the sheep from the goats, he's separating the saved from the unsaved, and then what he's doing, Jesus will commend disciples for faith that worked. So verse 34 says this. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And again, what an amazing line. We who are believers by grace through faith in Jesus Christ are gonna hear this line from him. And I wanna give you three important pickups from this verse, just this one verse, and, and quickly. Number one is the word come. He says come, right? All of the Christian life, y'all, is a moving toward Jesus Christ. Do you realize that? All of the Christian life is a moving toward Jesus Christ. He, he says, come place your faith in me. He says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. He says, come to heaven. He says, come to eternity. When you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you begin coming to Jesus. You're saved, you're justified, but you're coming to him. He's drawing you to himself all the more. Even the Bible ends with this phrase, come Lord Jesus. The second thing to pick up here is this word blessed. Come to me, all who are blessed by my Father. Um, the best meaning for blessed is vertical redemption and not horizontal situation. Do you see that? The best meaning for blessed is vertical redemption and not horizontal situation right? The people who are blessed here are saved and they're heading to heaven. The third one is God's kingdom was prepared for you before the foundation of the world. Sometimes we think like kingdom is post-world, right? And, and the culmination of it is, the in, our entrance into it is, but it pre-existed the world, and so, man, that is such hope for us as things in our world shake and things in our world crumble. We realize, man, we're, we're part of another world. We're citizens of heaven, a place that predates everything that I see, everything I think about, everything that I love, and it gives us such security when things are falling apart, right? So next, as we move on through these passages, through these verses, Jesus gives forensic evidence of the saved bearing witness to their saving faith. So this is super cool. Maybe not what you would expect would be happening at this judgment of, of all humanity. Verse 35 and 36 says, for I was hungry and you gave me food. The I here is Jesus. The you here is the saved. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me, right? If we were to parachute into these two verses like so many people do without considering the context, we would think that we are saved on the basis of our works, right? On the basis of our humanitarian aid, on the basis of our philanthropy, uh, right? With the needy, with whom Jesus identifies. But the context of this passage of chapter 25, of chapter 24, of all of the Bible is that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and we are not saved by works that somehow earn us salvation. A great verse for that is Ephesians uh, 2, 8 and 8 through 10. And it says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 
So from that verse, we see that we are saved by grace and then that causes faith, right? Grace is offered, faith just latches onto that grace and says, yes, please save me, I'm a sinner, save me. And then the result of that is works that proceed from our faith, that proceeds from the grace of God. And then as this moment goes on, this future moment, the saved respond to Jesus's comment. Verses 37 through 40, Jesus says, then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Do you notice the humility here of the righteous before Jesus? They're saying, Lord, when did, when, did we, when did we serve you? Jesus just told them that throughout the lives of believers, they were serving him and they, they didn't realize it. And then they're saying, Lord, when did we do it? And Jesus answers them, when you served the least of these, which means little ones, which ultimately would mean little Christs, which ultimately would mean little Christians. Christians. This list of hungry, thirsty, strangers, naked, sick, and incarcerated describe other Christians here while we're alive. And Jesus is riffing on Matthew 10 right now. He's He's using similar language that he used as he sent out the disciples way back in Matthew 10. And we're thinking about how he goes, how he sends the disciples out and he gives them equipping, he gives them instructions, he gives them the good news. He said, go out and do these miracles. And then he tells them, and you will be persecuted. And so as, as the disciples are hearing this in Matthew 25, they're for sure thinking about that, that sending moment from Matthew 10. And Jesus now is saying at judgment, we will be commended for caring for the persecuted. I think about the New Testament church that did this. As you read the book of Acts, as you read the, the epistles of Paul, the letters of Paul, we see Paul taking a collection from the churches as he would visit, as he would go around on his three missionary journeys and repeating like first missionary journeys, planting churches, second missionary journey, he's encouraging them, third missionary journey, he's encouraging them and equipping them, right? What is he doing each time? He's gathering a collection for the saints who have been ravaged by war and by famine, the saints in Jerusalem and he's taking it back to them to care for them. These saints were persecuted for their faith and the rest of the New Testament church was taking up collections and helping them. So we see exactly what Jesus is saying here, the heart for other brothers and sisters in Christ, it pouring out in generosity for other believers. Hey, you're on mission and you're being persecuted. I wanna help you. I have means right now. I have time right now. I wanna help you. And so Jesus will say on those last days, you are serving me when you served them because they were serving my mission. Church, I, I read this this week, this, this passage, and, and was just grinning like I, I'm, I think we are in, in such good position here um, because we're loving the Lord Jesus. I read this and I think we are, we are literally helping the incarcerated right now. We are serving people. We're recognizing that Christians around us are, are suffering and we wanna support the mission of believers in our city who are taking the good news into dark places. 
And so Heather Burkhart told me this week that she was following up with Pilar, who's one of the leaders at CLI, uh, Prison Alliance, and uh, Pilar and her family came last week, and Pilar told Heather that she wanted to come and visit Harvest because she observed our love for one another while we were serving last Saturday. So she brought her family on Sunday. And y'all, I just, I think about that, and I, first of all, I, I kind of gospel grunt. I'm like, uh, right? Like, that's good, yeah, right? But then I think, all we were doing was stamping books. Like, it's like, when did we serve you? All we were doing was stamping books. Like, it's, it's seriously the easiest job ever, right? Open the front cover, stamp the book, back cover, stamp the book, put it on a shelf, right? But she wasn't observing how many books we stamped that are gonna go to 1,300 prisons all over the world to help in the discipleship of prisoners. She was, she was blown away by our love for one another. She could see the gospel impact within us. She could see the gospel love within us. And she wanted to come and feel that. So church, I, I hope that massively encourages you, right? We didn't ask her to be like, hey, could you say something really nice, right? She noticed that. I think sometimes we think about our productivity and like how much we can get done and how many books we can stamp and how many goods we can capture, how many, how many hours we can log and serve places, Right? But people are noticing our love. People are noticing our care and, and Jesus sees that. And as we serve others, Jesus is served. So church, be encouraged. Be encouraged. We've seen so far that Jesus, as Jesus returns, he will gather all humanity for judgment. He's gonna commend disciples for faith that worked. And then here's the third one, and this is the heavy one. Jesus will condemn those without faith that worked. Jesus will condemn those without faith that worked. Okay, so here's 41 through 46. Here's this big, important, solemn paragraph. Jesus says, Then I will say to those on my left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food and I was thirsty and you gave me no drink and I was a stranger and you did not welcome me, naked and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer saying, Lord, when did, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? And he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So I've made a, I've made a chart, just one chart. It doesn't even build. It's just all up there. And I want to walk you through this, okay? I want you to see in this passage, just this passage, how heaven and hell are polar opposites. The language that Jesus is using is intended to give contrast for each of us so that we would understand, oh, that is, that is, there is a gulf between those, right? This could not be more different. So of heaven, Jesus says to those who are righteous, saved by grace through faith in Jesus, he says, come you who are blessed. For hell, those who are not saved by grace and faith in Jesus, he says, depart from me, you cursed. Next is we see about kingdom and about coming into it. He says, enter the kingdom prepared for you. And then of hell, eternal fire prepared. 
eternal kingdom prepared to eternal fire prepared. And then we see the, the whole response and tone of those who are saved, the righteous, is humility. Thinking like, Lord, when did we serve you? Lord, we love you, but when did we serve you? Like, I can't believe you're, you're commending us right now. And it's just more and more humility, right? We recognize we're sinners. And then we recognize we can be saved and we humble ourselves before the Lord and say, save me, Lord, forgive me. And he forgives us. And then we keep moving and lowering ourselves, less of us, more of him in our lives, more humility. And then that humility is the scene of heaven right here. Humility for believers before our king. And then the opposite in hell. It's self-righteousness. The same self-righteousness is like, I don't need you, Jesus. I got this. There's no such thing as heaven. There's no such thing as hell. Is that same sort of self-righteousness in heaven. When did we do this? I, I don't, you know, excuses, self-righteousness. And then of heaven, Jesus describes it as eternal life. And then of hell, Jesus describes it as eternal. And he doesn't say death. He says punishment. And that just wrecks me. I put, I put those phrases in quotes because they are the words of Jesus. I didn't put them in quotes as like air quotes, like they're metaphorical. They're in quotes because these are Jesus' words of, as we've just read from this passage. Some say that Jesus does not talk about heaven and hell, but here it is, right here. And I notice in this passage, and maybe you noticed it as well as we got going with verse 31 and on, that it, this passage no longer started with it is like meaning the kingdom of heaven will be like. And Jesus is giving metaphors. He's giving, he's giving descriptors about the kingdom of heaven in verse one of chapter 25. And then in verse 14, the kingdom of heaven will be like. Here in this passage, he is saying the son of man will. This is sure, this is certain, this is real. It's from the words of Jesus who came out of heaven and did the most wonderfully sacrificial thing ever so that we could be delivered to heaven ourselves by placing our faith in him. He is trustworthy, he is credible, and he's giving us this intel, which is amazing because God didn't have to. God would be perfectly just for all of us to just like gallop over the hill or the cliff into hell. It's what we deserve. But Jesus, by his grace and his mercy, provided a means for us to be saved, and it's himself. Heaven and hell are not constructs toward moral accountability. Heaven and hell are eternal destinies based on whether you have placed your faith in Jesus or not. I wanna share with you something that is occurring to me, something that's really encouraging that, that I'm seeing that I think a lot of us are seeing occurring in our church. Um, a lot of us grew up with, with some Christian background, like we grew up in a Christian home or we grew up going to Sunday school or we learned some things over the years uh, and, and most of us are, are, are American and so there's some sort of Christian value, some sort of thought, some sort of thinking about heaven and hell and, and all that. So we grow up kind of having a framework of those things, Right? For whatever, in whatever way that, that you did. 
But what I see happening in us as we grow in our faith, as we age in our faith, as we age in our, in our lives is I see that framework getting filled in as we go. So imagine it's like the framework of all the things that you know, the theology, the things you learn as a, as a kid or a young adult or whatever, and then, and then it's getting filled in now with depth and with awe and with study and knowing God's word and really praying to him and really relying on him by faith and really having affection for him and worshiping him and really living with action, like break my heart for what breaks yours sort of stuff. I see that happening. And so we're filling in that theological framework that we had and that's, that's Christian maturity. That's like theological adulthood and it's happening. And so as we read this passage, all of us for, are familiar with heaven or hell, but as we see it, we're filling in that framework and we're understanding it and it's stirring our hearts and we're thinking about lost people and we're thinking about saved people and we're thinking, am I saved? Am I good? And then we're thinking like, I gotta, I gotta get this good news to the world. And that's that theological framework filling in. Some though burn the theological framework. They're like, this can't be true. I've matured out of that childishness. This is just, it's too big. It's too otherworldly. But consider the cost of dismissing this weighty word from Jesus Christ. Consider the cost of dismissing this weighty word from Jesus Christ. Jesus' aim is that any of you unsaved would take the opportunity to be saved and to place your faith in him for the forgiveness of your sins. For sure. I want to close this um, passage today by uh, reading some quotes from my boy J.C. Ryle, all right? Um, he said this better than I could say it, and so um, I think it'll help land the plane a little bit for us today. It's two paragraphs, the first one about believers, okay? Uh, they're on the screen, you can read them. He says, he writes, let believers think of this and take comfort. He's writing about this passage, right? Let believers think of this and take comfort. The one who, the one who sits on the throne on that great and dreadful day will be their savior, their shepherd, their high priest, their elder brother, their friend. When they see him, they will have no cause to be alarmed. When, when we go to heaven, we who are here, who are saved by grace through faith in Jesus, we're gonna know Jesus, we're gonna see him, he, we're gonna recognize his voice, right? It's, it's gonna be amazing. There's not gonna be fear that day for us who are in Christ Jesus. There's gonna be welcome for us. There's gonna be commendation for us. We're gonna see like, that's, that's my elder brother, that's my friend, that's my savior, that's my shepherd, that's my high priest right there. And then J.C. Ryle writes, writes, let unconverted people think of this and be afraid. Their judge will be that very Christ whose gospel they now despise and whose gracious invitations they refuse to hear. And so I wanna encourage any of you, if that last paragraph describes you, don't refuse to hear it anymore. Place your faith in Jesus Christ and be saved. Tell him you're a sinner and tell him that you recognize he came to pay the penalty of your sin on the cross. And he'll save you, he'll forgive you. And heaven is yours. And then you grow. You grow in your faith for the rest of your life. You keep coming to Jesus for the rest of your life. You're saved, but you come to him in faith. The big idea today is all will stand alone and be judged based on faith in Jesus Christ. All of us, each one of us, every single one of us. So I wanna give you some reflection questions and I'm gonna read them and then give you some time to pray through them 
on your own with the Lord. The first one is, are you ready for Jesus's return? Meaning, is your faith solely in him? It's not like some Jesus, a lot of other stuff, or 50-50 or 80-20. It's, is your faith solely in him? You can't bring your works at him, right? It's your faith in him, he knows. Is your faith in Jesus? Are you ready for Jesus's return? Second, are you loving the church by meeting the needs of one another? We see Jesus's heart for Christians. We see Jesus's heart for those he saved in this passage, right? Are you loving the church by meeting the needs of one another? A third is, are you laboring that the world would be saved while there's still time? When I read this passage, I, I just get so stirred up, like people gotta know. And then fourth, are you confident in Christ and no longer confused nor fearful? Are you confident in Christ? Not in yourself, but in Christ. Are you confident in Christ and no longer confused nor fearful? So work through those with the Lord. Just pray, interact with him, reflect. And I'll close this in prayer here in just a moment. Are you ready? And are you loving? And are you laboring? And are you confident? Are you ready? Are you loving? Are you laboring? Are you confident? Are you ready? Are you loving? Are you laboring? Are you confident? Lord Jesus, we come to you now as you are always beckoning us. We come to you now in faith and we come to you now in gratitude. Faith in you and what you've done for us. Faith in you and who you are. Faith in you and what you've said. Knowing that, Lord, in you we are saved. In you we will be in heaven forevermore. After this is the new Jerusalem. It's the new heavens and the new earth. It's heaven eternal, and we give you glory, God, for it. Jesus, thank you for teaching us. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for being our shepherd. Thank you for being our defense. Thank you for being our high priest. Thank you for being our elder brother. You are all of these things. And I pray, God, that each and every one of us would rely on you by faith more and more. God, give us confidence in you. Give us confidence in what's ahead. No more fear. No more confusion about eternal things. God, a lot of readiness and a lot of loving and laboring and confidence for your glory, God. I pray that you, by the power of your Holy Spirit and the power of your word proclaimed, would allow each and every one of us to lead multiple people and maybe many, many people in our lifetimes to you. Lord, we see it as the privilege of our lives to speak of you, to point others to you. 
and to be a part of you saving souls. Only you can do that, but you use us, Lord, and help us as a church, as a people, to support one another, and especially those who go, especially those who are taking hits for being Christians, especially those who are taking hits for going. Lord, we love you, and we wanna honor you in Jesus' name, and by the power of your spirit, we pray, amen.